And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to vancast.robinhood.com. That's vancast.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.com fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Vancast to start your week, and just as it was last week, Thomas, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are on a roll. Now, there's that little matter of what happened down in Florida, but uh, with wins in Buffalo and Minnesota over the weekend, certainly seems like they stopped the bleeding, and they've turned things back in the right direction. Yeah, and they've done it while playing so much better. I mean, we were talking a little bit last week about how it's difficult to break down what this team is in part because they've been such different things. And then this road trip's kind of a good microcosm of that, you know, two of their best two way road games of the year coming right on the heels of, you know, two of by far their most hapless. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think there's a couple of things that stand out to me. If we go back to the Buffalo game first, it's that like anytime your team is taking on water, you need your best players to step up. And I thought in Buffalo on Saturday, 
You know, Bo Horvat continued a, a terrific run since Christmas. Uh, JT Miller was terrific. Obviously, Brock Besser. There's been so much talk in the marketplace about Brock Besser and Besser with a couple of goals there. You know, you get those kind of offensive performances from your best players. You can't squander them. And they didn't. And they were full value for the victory against the Sabres. Yeah, and you know, I I also sort of go back to what Travis Green made, you know, the comments Travis Green had before Buffalo about the team needing to, you know, a young team needing to learn on the road. And, you know, I do think that Vancouver's overall finishing luck has been there at home and just not on the road. And I think that's partly why this team has looked almost like two different entities or two different versions of itself. And, you know, it's... uh it's something that I think they're going. We we can expect them to be better at <laughs> better on the road going forward. But whether or not they'll continue that sparkling form at home too is sort of the other side of that coin. Well, they don't have to worry about home games just yet because they've got one more stop here on the road trip as they go into Winnipeg and and look like now it's right there in front of them to come home with a 500 or better than 500 record on this road trip that started so poorly down in Florida. And I know Winnipeg hasn't been kind to the Canucks. I'm talking about the city of Winnipeg, but the Jets as well. Uh, but this is a Winnipeg team that has three wins in its last 10 games. Just a 500 hockey club on home ice. It's not the formidable Winnipeg Jets of the last bunch of years. So, you know, the Canucks all of a sudden roll into uh, MTS Bell Center or whatever it's called. I can never remember <laughs> the full name of that place. Uh, but, you know, they've got some confidence and, and I think, you know, they've got the incentive now coming off the win in Minnesota as well. And that's, look, if anybody knows that that was not an easy turnaround from Buffalo to Minnesota, I've got my hand raised really high. <laughs> you can't see it on the podcast. Uh, the Canucks had a, a much more direct route from the two cities between the games. But, you know, back-to-back games, early start times, both of them, uh, it, it, it wasn't. Like on paper, it certainly wasn't an easy weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, the results maybe make it look otherwise, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good win for them, obviously, to go into Minnesota as well and take care of business against the, a wild team that I have to say is so spectacularly unspectacular. Like, there's just nothing <laughs> sexy. There is nothing sexy about the Minnesota Wild. They've got, you know, decent component parts, but I don't know. Like, there's just, I watched that team and that game uh, yesterday. And they're just such an unremarkable hockey club. But credit the Canucks did what they had to do to get uh, another win. Yeah, I mean the Minnesota Wild almost remind me of like the of of last season's Vancouver Canucks, but they're probably but with a good defense, right? Like with no spectacular top end talent or or top line talent, but with a good D. They're kind of just you know well drilled for what they are, but I I don't think they really have the weapons to hurt you. And and I think that's you know an important thing for the Canucks, sort of as they look at you know, this all-around battle because when you, you know, as we find ourselves today, right, the Canucks are first in point percentage in their, in the Pacific and yeah. they're not even in the top 10 among teams in the league. But this is sort of a an opportunity here where if they can stay hot, you know, they can keep building or, or even sort of begin to create for the first time all season some sort of real cushion in the Pacific. And boy, would that be big going into, you know, the all-star break here. Well, let's pick that up then right there. I mean, you mentioned the All-Star game when the rosters were initially announced. Elias Pettersson, to the surprise of nobody, was on his way back to his second straight All-Star game and good for him. You know, and he'll go in this time, I I think, way more comfortable having been through the whole weekend in San Jose last year. And just now that people around the league, not that they didn't know who he was, he was taking the league by storm at last year's All-Star break. But, you know, to, to back it up with the kind of season that he's having... 
Uh, Look, that's great for him, and he's going to be a a fixture at these All-Star games for a while. So good on Elias Pettersson. But even better, I think, for Elias Pettersson is the fact that he's going to have company, a boatload of company now, because Jacob Markstrom, we know, was named as a replacement for Marc-Andre Fleury. And over the weekend, uh, Canuck Nation rose to the challenge and voted Quinn Hughes in. And for the reasons I just mentioned about Pettersson, like, Quinn Hughes better, you know, plot this on his calendar each and every year for the next decade or so. Like, this is going to be a regular thing for him. Uh, he won't need the fans to vote him in, but uh, he'll be there uh, for many years going forward. But again, like, just, you know, another feather in his cap in what has been a remarkable rookie season. Yeah, I mean, in another strong game again, obviously, last night, uh, you know, led the Canucks in minutes. Obviously, they were able to sort of contain things a little bit. They have had a pretty dense schedule on this trip, right? And that was what, the end of a three and four stretch for them uh, over sort of three difficult parts of the continent to access. So, you know, credit to them. But Quinn Hughes leading the team in minutes on a pretty regular basis these days, right? Playing really good two-way, playing really well over 200 feet of ice. And, I mean, full value. Like, it's not just a fan vote. This is not vote for Rory. You know, Quinn Hughes is full value for his first career All-Star appearance. Yeah, and and but I mean, look, there was when you looked at the list of people that were players that were available for fan voting, like it was you know it was a murderer's row. So there was no guarantee. But uh, again, we know that Canuck Nation likes to take on a challenge and back its players, and uh, I just think it's cool. I think it's neat that uh, the Canucks are going to have three guys there. Like you know, you go back a decade, and it was the Twins and Kessler, it was the Twins and Alex Edler having three Canucks in an All Star game. Uh, that was no big deal. It was just sort of commonplace, and you almost expected it when you look at where this team has been the last bunch of years and for Horvat to have been at one and Besser obviously to dominate his all-star weekend in Tampa and now Pedersen and Hughes you know it, it does make you stop for a second and look I'm not breaking any news here people know all of this but like to have all of these young guys getting some league recognition uh, you know I, I just think it's good for them but it, it reflects well on the organization too. It really does. And then you look at that Pacific Division roster and the fact that Hughes is only the second defenseman on it. But also you look at what the Canucks have done three on three with Hughes and Pedersen on the ice. Uh, this has a real chance to be, you know, with three representatives, a, a pretty significant like arrival moment for Vancouver's two sort of blue chip, you know, cornerstone pieces here. And, and I mean, that's that has a chance to be memorable, I think, for, for Canucks fans and, and maybe for you know, those two gentlemen, but also for the league, potentially, if they can continue to, you know, develop and, and be sort of these core pieces on a team that's, you know, good over several years or a long stretch of time, which is which is sort of how the Canucks are shaping up, especially when you think about, you know, what those guys have done together, not just three on three, but, you know, up high on the power play and, and on and on, you know, what this sort of twosome means to the Canucks, but also to the West as we go forward. I mean, this is sort of a, a window into that. Hey, Drancer, what do we make of Bo Horvat's run since Christmas here with Louis Erickson, with Tanner Pearson? It was one of the real talking points out of the game yesterday. Horvat uh, opens, or he scored that goal 13 seconds after Minnesota had tied the game at one. So a nice response from the captain, put the Canucks in front. They didn't look back. Troy Stetcher added to the lead moments later. Like that was a big turning point in the hockey Mm -hmm. game. And then Horvat uh, with the, the empty netter as well. But four points over the weekend here. And, you know, he was asked after the game, about just this notion of consistency because one of the storylines with Bo Horvat the last couple of years obviously he has played with just about everybody we know that 
you know, the organization went into the marketplace in the offseason trying to address top six forwards, specifically to play with Bo Horvat. Obviously, Furland's season hasn't panned out the way they had hoped, but, you know, whether it was Louis Erickson or somebody else, and it just happens to have been Louis Erickson since that game against Pittsburgh before Christmas after Levo got hurt, you know, Horvat has had the same run of wingers here for a 10-game stretch, and it's probably not a surprise that he has been at his most productive, and you've heard the coach after a handful of games here recently, you know, single him out for his performance, the way that he's played. What do you see in Bo Horvat these days that maybe was not there earlier in the season? For sure. The level of control is definitely higher right now. I mean, I think about that Chicago game, you know, both the games over this weekend and the way that Horvat was just controlling things five on five. I mean, that's sort of the biggest change in my view anyway is right now and he right now at five on five Bo Horvat is Vancouver's best player and he sort of has been over this eight game stretch since since Christmas I also think that he's begun to get some of the benefits of finishing luck that completely eluded him in November I mean you think about that goal against Minnesota like that was a bounce that we just didn't see Horvat get at any point over the first two months of the season and and I think some of those sort of 50 50s have begun to go his way and but, you know, overall, I think he's been maybe not full value, but pretty close to it with 12 points over the last eight games. And that's just at 5-on-5 at five five or even strength. That's pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, there's definitely some good fortune there. We've seen that. But overall, I think Bo Horvat's had as good a run over the past day as he's had all season. Yeah, and it wasn't just the game in Minnesota. I mean, yeah, he was fortunate the puck drops down to him. But, I mean, think back to the Buffalo game as well. You know, he's in. He's trying to feed a pass across the goal mouth to Quinn Hughes for a backdoor tap-in. Puck hits the defender, comes right back to Bo Horvat. And Carter Hutton going the other way. I mean, he has half the net to shoot at, and he didn't miss there. So, big weekend for Bo Horvat. Uh, he finishes with three goals and an assist. Uh, they spread the offense around, and, and, you know, during that run, that was one of the things. Like, we talked about the fact, yeah, they were getting outplayed on a lot of nights. They were getting, getting terrific goaltending, but they were spreading their offense. And you saw that again here over the weekend when you look at, you know, Horvat had four points. Miller had four points. Of course, Tanner Pearson, he got his three points. Uh, he just <laughs> continues that crazy 28 points in his last 28 games for Tanner Pearson. Uh, you know, Besser had the big game in Buffalo I don't want to say I was disappointed for him because there was nothing to be disappointed for uh, for Brock Besser unless, you know, you wanted to see the true sort of fairy tale of him lighting up the Minnesota Wild in front of his family. But uh, just the fact that his dad and uh, so many friends and family were in attendance at XL Energy Center. I mean, it was such a great storyline there uh, for, for Brock Besser. I didn't think Besser had his best game uh, necessarily in his home state, but uh, still part of uh, another Canuck win here. So, you know, I can come back to the fact that uh, they needed their best players to go and, you know, who gets the ball rolling, but Elias Pettersson in Minnesota with a pretty unconventional goal for him. Like we haven't seen Elias Pettersson at the net front an awful lot, uh, particularly on the power play. We haven't, but what a tip, right? Like that was deft hands from, uh, from Pettersson. You'd almost wonder if, you know, rotating there, you know, you don't want to take away that one timer, right? It's such a weapon, but you know, you, you, I do wonder if rotating him there might be worth it, just based on his positioning was solid and and those hands were excellent. And you know, I think to dwell on Besser a little bit, right? Because we've sort of seen him be criticized a fair bit in this market. We've also sort of seen a fair bit of pushback from that. I mean, Besser has his defenders as he should, but I think when you look back and think about his last 
six, seven games. And just the way that he's been, you know, maybe not doing Tanner Pearson things in terms of picking up points efficiently at the moment, but in but in terms of his, you know, position at the net front, the way that he's been working to be there, uh, just the quality of his chances. I mean, how many times have we seen Besser in all alone in tight, right? Like, and, you know, he's had some tough luck. I mean, he obviously had couldn't convert that chance in uh, Florida. He couldn't convert that chance against the uh, – it was sorry, it was the Blackhawks the other day, but – I just think about all these quality looks that Besser's getting, and at some point the dam's going to break, and he's going to get a nice little run. And you know, I think the overall underlying profile of a guy who just gets his shot off is a smart hockey player, maybe underrated in terms of his overall hockey intelligence. Like this is going to come for him offensively. I still think he's going to hit thirty with a bullet, and you know, I think a lot of the criticism that we've sort of heard of his game in the market, especially about the shot velocity and, and on and on, uh, will turn out to be pretty ephemeral. Uh, from what I'm seeing from him, especially over the past two and a half weeks, like this to me looks like a guy who's, uh, you know, maybe at the top of his game, but without, you know, some of that finishing confidence that, you know, typically is a trademark of what he brings. Yeah, I, I just, I've not understood the criticism uh, level towards him at, at any point because the point production is, I mean, the guy's having a, basically a point-per-game guy on, as we have talked about repeatedly, you know, one of the top lines in the National Hockey League this season. Uh, his role has changed. Like, in those first couple of years, he was looked to as a go-to guy because they didn't have anything else. But when you now align him with Elias Pettersson, easily the team's best player, and JT Miller, who's obviously come in and done a nice job for the Vancouver Canucks as well, like there's only one puck, right? Like, you know, it's not just Besser that it is going to score that needs to score. And so, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I'm having trouble sort of understanding where people are coming from uh, that are freaking out because his play is a little bit different, but he's been as productive or more productive. And I'm with you. I mean, he's shown over his time brief as it's been in the National Hockey League, that he's a pretty streaky scorer, and when he gets hot, you know, he can go on a real run, and so he'll probably have another one or two of those as this season unfolds, but I I don't know. Like, there are some issues around this team. I just think the play and the production of Brock Besser uh, are not uh, two of them, so I would tell people to stand down. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 look, if this losing streak had grown uh, coming out of Florida, you know, yeah, we'd probably be poking some sticks at uh, different guys but you know again I thought the top players did what they have to do uh, to stem the bleeding and I think like when I look when I step back and kind of look at the Vancouver Canucks 46 games into the season and the, the construct of the hockey club you know they they did a nice job of not allowing this losing streak to grow beyond the state of Florida you think back to last year like one of the real problems for this team was losing streaks kind of took on a life for their own, got out of control. I mean, they lost eight straight at one point in November. Seven of those were regulation losses. Like, that's hard to, really, like, that's hard to do to lose seven straight in regulation without getting a single point anywhere along the line. And then in February last year, I mean, they had a stretch where they won four out of 17. You know, I think this weekend shows to me that this team is better built to deal with the adversity and maybe that's the sign of some of the top young players you know growing into their roles and obviously the goaltending of Jacob Markstrom is the constant through it all and he was really good again yesterday I, I didn't necessarily agree with that decision of coming right back with him with the travel from Buffalo to Minnesota but uh, it looks like Travis Green got that one right and late in the game and he had a little cushion to work with with a 3-1 lead but man the, the wild pulled the goaltender 
mounted some real pressure, and that's when Jacob Markstrom was at his best uh, to preserve uh, you know the lead and, and deal up another victory for the Canucks. Yeah, and I also think one sort of thing that we, in a global perspective about the maturation of this group is, you know, they sort of found a way to win, and, and they found a way to win not fortunately, but by solving one of their crucial issues here, which was that they were just getting throttled five on five, and, and they seemed to find a way to, you know, exert some of that control over the games against Buffalo and Minnesota, and, you know, those are teams that... If you're going to have playoff aspirations, even in the Pacific, like those are games you have to have or, or sort of points you have to be pretty competitive in. You can't you can't be leaving those on the table, especially with how the trip began. And to see them sort of come out and, and find a way to solve that one sort of glaring issue that made those two losses in Florida feel like more than two losses, as it was put to Jacob Markstrom the other day, uh, you know, to, to come back and respond by solving that to me, sort of looks like a, an important potential development, especially if they can continue to, you know, sort of stem that tide at 5-on-5 five five and reverse the trend that, you know, certainly had me concerned based on their form over the past 25 or so. What about Markstrom's workload? Like, it isn't hockey, conventional hockey wisdom to run your guy out back-to-back, but we've seen Travis Green do it three times now. The first two times, Jacob Markstrom and the team did not win I uh, went back to back in the home and home with the Edmonton Oilers uh, to finish out that long road trip and start December. And then sort of out of necessity when Demko was hurt, Markstrom played both games in San Jose and in Vegas. Uh, we know that the Vegas game didn't go very well. Then Demko comes back right after Christmas and they split the back to backs. Markstrom with the 49 saves against the LA Kings and Demko delivered a, a big win in Calgary in a key game at that point. I think the Flames were a point ahead of the Canucks heading into the game at the Saddle Dome. And Demko delivered there. Uh, so, again, I, I, personally, I was surprised. Like, I just thought they were going to alternate goaltenders on this road trip as things unfolded. Uh, is there a concern in the big picture of, and, you know, keep in mind, like Markstrom, and we talked about him earlier, uh, you know, he's got to go to St. Louis and back. And so there's added travel ahead for him. But there's also the flip side of the coin is that at some point, they kind of have to get Demko up and running a little bit more regularly, don't they? I think when you consider where the Canucks are in the season and what Markstrom's workload has been, although he will play the All-Star game, I think you know, he'll he'll obviously get some reps in. I mean, that's the worst job in the world, right? Goaltending the All-Star game, just awful. So, you know, he'll definitely get some work there, but you know, he's on pace for what? Something like 57 starts and and I'd actually expect him to exceed that uh it, over the balance of the season just because you know, he, I mean, has played 60 games consistently the last couple of years. He's, he's never seemed to have any kind of injury trouble. Um, he seems to be in, you know, extraordinary shape, and he seems eager to sort of keep working. So, uh, you know, I, I'd expect him to start maybe even more frequently over the balance of the season than we've seen him, uh, you know, start to this point. And, and I think they'll try to avoid things like those stretches in December when Demko was hurt, right? That's where... I think Markstrom's workload really got significant. But when you consider some of the time he spent away from the team and just the workload on the whole, you know, I I kind of think it's about right. Like there's maybe a game or two you'd like to see shaved off, uh, but injuries kind of, you know, and that Demko injury, I do think had a significant role in in changing that plan. And over the balance, I I do think that 
you know, if they can find ways to get Markstrom the kind of time off that he had between Tampa and Buffalo, you know, going rolling the dice with him back to back, I think made good sense um, overall, frankly. And I do think that his workload's at probably a pretty good sweet spot here. I, I think actually we'll see him start a little more frequently. Yeah, I mean, Travis Green opens him up opens himself up to criticism if that game in Minnesota goes sideways, right? Like, it's an easy storyline to say, oh, that should have been a Demko start. But um, now, I mean, there's no back-to-backs between now and the All-Star break. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, I don't think. You know, the Winnipeg game is the next biggest game of the season for the Canucks. A chance, as we said, to come home with an above 500 record on this road trip. Then they go home. They've got San Jose. That might be the game. The, the Saturday night against San Jose, because the Arizona game on Thursday, you know, that's the first of four against the Coyotes. Uh, and ultimately, I think it will come down to sort of how the Canucks fare in what's left of the, the head-to-head matchups on their schedule. So maybe it's that Saturday game at home against San Jose before the All-Star break. Maybe that's a chance to give Markstrom a little bit of a break before he has to jump on a jet and head to St. Louis uh, for the All-Star weekend. Because, uh, I, I, look, like they think goaltending is a strength, and, and I agree with them um but it's just it's kind of been you know Markstrom has played so much with I think 14 of the last 16 Demko obviously was injured there for a little while uh but they believe in Demko it's it's funny like they say they believe in Demko and yet they just don't seem to want to go down that road of giving him uh a whole lot of game action here so I'll be curious to see I mean because you got to remember too like it's not about I mean first and foremost it's about getting into the playoffs but you know, they don't want to be happy just to be there if they get there. So, you know, it's not 82 games. You want your starting goaltender to be fresh and ready to roll when the games that matter the most uh, roll around. Uh, and, you know, if the Canucks were, and you talked about the division, like it's it's not crazy. Maybe, I, maybe it is. Maybe it may, this might be the most ridiculous. Now I'm starting to think. All right, let's go. Let's go. Well, the Canucks are going to have home ice advantage oh. in the play. They're not just going to get to the playoffs, but the way the division's <laughs> shaking down. Right. So if they have they have home ice advantage, follow me here. Uh, they've turned into a really good team at home. Uh, now I'm envisioning this like Cinderella run for the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs after <laughs> missing for four years. But I just it all tracks back to me that I'd like to see them give Demko a little bit more of an opportunity. But at the same time, I understand how high the stakes are for the Canucks. So. Uh, as I said, like Travis Green rolled the dice a little bit, but uh, he made the right call uh, going with Markstrom yesterday in Minnesota. You know, it's I, I love that you had that moment. Like, I love that you had that moment of like, wait, this team, you know, that I think that's so appropriate. Because actually, when you look at Dom's model, you know, Dom Lecision uh, at the Athletic, uh, he has the Canucks at a 40% shot to, to, to lock down home ice advantage for the first round. Which isn't, like, that's not quite a coin flip, but it's not far away. It's not... It's not a prospect that is unrealistic at this point based on where the Canucks are trending and where the other teams in the division are trending because everyone's kind of boxed up pretty close here. Yeah, and you know the Canucks have games in hand on most of those teams that are right around them, and they still have four left against Arizona, two left. Uh, the two against Calgary are both in Vancouver. Like The Canucks are done in Cowtown, and Flames have to come to Vancouver a couple of times, still have a couple of games left with Vegas, so... You know, there's a lot of meat on the bone, don't get me wrong here, but it's all within their grasp. And, you know, it's funny, I was just looking last night, you know, they, they get to 54 points, and then I started to sort of do some math here now that we're past the midway mark of the season. 
you know, you're at 54 points. I kind of use 94 as the playoff bar, and ultimately we don't know where that bar is going to be set. But, you know, to get from 54 to 94, obviously just 40 points over the final 36 games. Like all of a sudden that just seems so imminently doable uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. And it's again, it's funny to think that when we last recorded uh, the other day after the, the losses in Florida, like there was some doom and gloom creeping back in. But, uh, you know, instead of coming out of Florida and wondering, all right, where's this team going? Where's this season headed? You know, you get weekend wins in Buffalo and Minnesota. All of a sudden now you frame it as, oh, they've won nine of their last 11, right? Like they, you take that seven game win streak, you tack on these two that they've won here over the weekend. And really the stopover in Florida looks like it was just a little bit of a blip. It does. And, and I think it, especially it starts to look a little bit more like a blip because of how you know definitive those wins were, right? And how well Vancouver played against these two teams, you know, in Buffalo. And obviously Buffalo had was missing a couple of key pieces, but Buffalo and Minnesota are, you know, the sort of fringy playoff teams that I think I would have expected to be more Vancouver's peer to this point in the season. Um, and who Vancouver has sort of been able to you know, not just beat soundly over the weekend, but accumulates, you know, that extra six, seven points that sort of puts some distance between you and a team like that. And I do sort of think that they have an opportunity in Winnipeg here. And and it's not an easy one because Connor Hellebuck's probably, you know, one of the Vesna front runners at the moment. And, you know, Winnipeg still has some firepower despite being sort of a reduced version of what the teams we've seen in the past couple of years, especially on the back end. Uh, But, you know, I think they have a chance to really begin to sort of put some distance between them and a team like Winnipeg, too. Currently only two points back of Vancouver as they look to solidify not just, you know, their holding in the Pacific, but potentially their holding in in a wild card race as well. All right. So you and your giant suitcase are headed uh, home. (laughs) Indeed. You're you're taking a pass on Winnipeg, are you? I am taking a pass on Winnipeg. No, I got to watch the uh, national championship game, man. (laughs) Sugar Bowl. I thought I was going to the Sugar Bowl on Saturday night. <laughs> that that was, wasn't that far off. It was amazing late in the game, especially with all the reviews and all the amount of times. Like that was the game that the refs talked on headsets the most of any game we've played this or or we've watched or covered this season. And to have you in the press box, you know, sort of checking your watch like that was just fantastic, Jeff. No, it was not. Not for a second. <laughs> not when it took them five minutes to determine that the puck went. 15 feet over the net instead oh. of through the goalpost. What a great moment. And, and you know, the confusion really was aided because I don't think anyone sort of had a sense of what they were looking at in building, right? Like there was no sense of what was going on, which made it so difficult to cover. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I tweeted it at the time. Like, I, I really do believe this. Like, we have the technology, the refs are mic'd up. Like, take a second and explain to the fan base or the people, the ticket-buying customers, you know, what's being reviewed? You know, just take a sec, uh, you know, let everybody know, hey, we're reviewing, there may have been a goal scored, you know, we're going to take a look at it, kind of, because it, it you know, it, it just, it, it, it sucks the air out of the building, especially for a lengthy review, and then it would sort of build the anticipation, I guess, because, I mean, look, how many things can they be reviewing, obviously, but... Uh, I don't know. I just think that messaging, you've got the opportunity, uh, you know, bring the fans in. Like, let make the fans feel like they are part of what's 
taking place in that moment. So, uh, you know, I'm sure the uh, the decision makers that be at the NHL uh, listen to the VanCast with regularity. <laughs> so, you know, I would just I would just tell them to you know loop the fans in, let everybody uh, everybody be a part of all this. But of course, you're right. I mean, you think about the review that happened earlier in the season it was the home opener right the Canucks got an extra goal awarded against the Kings that night I believe and same thing right the play just kind of got blown dead in that circumstance like that wasn't that they'd restarted play or or play hadn't ever finished just kind of gets blown dead there's no sort of announcement as to what's happened so you get at least five to eight seconds where people are just like okay what like what is there a penalty is there a stoppage and then, you know, ref skates over and just puts on a headset. And then eventually you find out there's been a goal awarded. I mean, I just haven't seen that sequence play out. Obviously, I'm glad they're finding missed goals. They should be. But, you know, I haven't seen that play out um, in a way that made any sense as a, you know, from, from a like fan entertainment product standpoint. Bottom line is... We got one of the great uh, videos of all time for uh, the rest of time, probably, as long as Travis Green is uh, behind the bench of the Vancouver Canucks. That was uh, the offshoot of of that moment was uh, his startled surprise when uh, <laughs> finally it was announced that no no goal had been scored. And uh, I was glad to see he, even he had, like, how how could he avoid it? But he had a little fun with it post-game as well on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I had this uh, fun moment where I'd asked... Uh, you know, I've been working on a piece for a bit, and I asked Travis if I could have a specific quote that he'd made uh, as a joke, like off the cuff. And uh, and he was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I think people think I am spend a lot of time joking around. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed, and I, I thought, no, like, I don't think that's your public, the public <laughs> perception at all. <laughs> and sort of walked him through that. I kind of thought he was kidding, and I was like, I laughed, and then um, I realized he wasn't. <laughs> I was just like, okay, like, I think you can afford to, to, to shed some light here. But that certainly uh, was before the what he described as his breakdance on the bench. Well, he'll be dancing if his team can get uh, one more win here in Winnipeg to close out this road trip with a 3-2 record after dropping those first two in spectacular fashion down in Florida. All right, I move on to Winnipeg. You head back to Vancouver. We'll reconvene. We'll, re- uh, we'll record later in the week after uh, the Canucks come off the road trip and after they play that massive, crucial Pacific Division uh, showdown. <laughs> against those Arizona Coyotes. So uh, we'll touch base later in the week. Safe travels to you, and uh, we'll see you when we get back home. Safe travels, Jeff. Looking forward for the to the Arizona game that sets up. I mean, really, I'm just viewing it as a preview of Game 81, J-Pat. Well, we know that everything is tracking towards Game 81 in <laughs> Glendale and has been for a while. Uh, for Drancers, this is J-Pat. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic, theathletic.com. Yeah.